Okay, we're going to pick it up here on John 15. Um, And so as we look at putting this passage in the context, I want to remind us what happened at the end of last week. We are dealing with Judas, okay? Um, They were having the meal. Um, He had washed their feet. It was a very intimate time, very close time. Um, Jesus was getting them ready for what was about to happen, which is the cross is going to happen in about a couple hours. And they really didn't even comprehend all that was going to happen. They were still very confused by it. Um, But he's attending to them and telling them he's going to leave them his peace um, and encourage them. He's going to come back and get them and bring them to the the house, the the rooms that he is making for them in, in heaven. And he says, come on, let's rise and and go out from here. So they're on their way out. Judas is gone. And he wants to educate them on and encourage them on what they are going to entail in their ministry. And it's so apropos for us, too, as a church, what we're going to entail. Because we are going to be witnesses in a very hostile environment Soldiers fighting a good fight, athletes running a race well, and being ambassadors in a foreign land. So as the church, just like as the disciples at that time, the world was not going to embrace them. And he also wanted them to know that in, within their ministry, there will be those who, there'll be Judases, those who will be there infiltrating amongst them that aren't true believers, So he gets into telling them, using the analogy again of the vine, and it was very agrarian culture, and they all understood. They didn't go to Kroger or Food City to get their food. They were a culture that vines and and plants and different things, they knew about that stuff. So he starts out in verse 1, giving him the players involved. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. So we've got the vine, um, and he goes in, and he's going to be also saying that he is the vine in in verse 5a, that um, anyone who abides in him, they're going to produce fruit. This is the last of the I am statements that Jesus gives where he's talking about he is the, the bread, the light, the door, the shepherd, the resurrection of the light, the way, the truth, and the life, the vine. Basically, all of these are pointing to Jesus saying he is the source of spiritual life and vitality. He is the source of growth and productivity. He's the only one that, that gives them that. Old Testament has analogies of the the vine also, and that your commentary goes into good depth with that, so you can read that and find that out. But he's the source of life, and we're not going to be able to function or be productive at all unless we're plugged in with him. In today's analogy, if Jesus was here, he'd probably say that he's the power source. He's the battery. He's what we're plugged into. Um, So he's the vine. He's the true vine, which means he is the real deal. It's not like you got the, um, you bought the imitation from, you know, China. You got the real deal here, the real thing, okay? The true vine. Um, he's the final and complete revelation of spiritual truth. Just like he's the true light, 
which enlightens everyone. We learn that from John 1. He's the true light that comes into the world that enlightens everyone. He's the true vine, the final and only source of spiritual substance. It's all about Jesus, you guys. Nothing else really matters. Apart from him, nothing else matters. So he's the true vine. Then he also says that the vine dresser is God the Father. The Father's care for the vine and the branches. It's the Father that removes branches that do not bear fruit. Tares and wheats and goats from sheep. And we'll get into more of that. It's the Father who who breaks those off and cuts them off and gets rid of the ones that don't bear fruit. And notice that it's not up to us to do that. And it's also the Father, God the Father, who prunes the branches that do bear fruit, enabling them to bear more fruit. And to me, that's frustrating because when I have something I want to get rid of and I nip it, it comes back full force. You got to dig those things out of the ground, don't you? (laughs) So pruning actually does enhance growth. So we have the vine as Jesus, we have the vine dresser as God the Father, and then we have the vine branches, and there's two types of branches here. Two types of branches that are abiding. And that word abide is in there 11 times. So let's, let's get a good definition for it. Something that remains where it is, continues in a fixed state, or endures. If I were to abide here at this podium, I would stay right here. You could all leave and go home, and I would be abiding right here, remaining here, being stationary, staying in a fixed position, enduring. The lights go out. It gets cold in here. I would stay here, enduring, staying here. That's what it means to abide in Christ, plugged in, staying with him. Here in this analogy of the vineyard in the vine, it's also referring to maintaining an unbroken communion with Jesus Christ, abiding with him maintaining an unbroken relationship, fellowship with him. What breaks off our communion with God? What breaks off our fellowship with God? Sin. Sin. Unconfessed sin. We confess it. He forgives us. We're on. Fellowship is restored. We don't lose our salvation, but the fellowship is broken. So our part of of abiding is maintaining that and making sure that there's not sin that's um, unconfessed in our life. So let's go look at these two different types. We've got the abiding vine, and we've got the, uh, or we've got the vine that produces fruit, and we've got the ones that don't. First of all, the ones that are abiding in him are, is an illustration of the 11 disciples and all other true disciples. Okay, If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he has given you a new heart, you are, a, you are a, an abiding true vine. They bear fruit, and they remain in Christ's love. Remember, nothing can snatch us out of Christ's love. Nothing can take us out of the Savior's hand. Nothing can remove us from being in Christ's love. This is the branch that he's talking about now. Obedience is how we remain in that fellowship. John 8, 31, Jesus said to those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That's basically saying, if you keep with my word and and obey and apply this and and live this out, you are truly my disciples. 
So the father is going to prune these branches. Pruning is removing anything that would sap spiritual energy or hinder fruitful results. Pruning isn't chopping off the branch. Pruning is nipping away those things that we get sidetracked into, that's taking us away from what we really should be doing, glorifying him and being obedient to his word. It, 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 it kind of shapes us. It tells us to grow not this way, but grow this way. No, you don't have to take go over here and get this little sprout going because that's wasting your time and attention. You need to kind of stay focused. In other words, for God the Father to prune us, he's saying, grow this way, Stop growing this way. Pay attention over here. Put your energies and resources into this. This is a waste of time. This is leading you down the wrong path. Quit going this way. Prune this way. Pruning many times leads to repentance. Sometimes it's a prune just to kind of get us on track. And sometimes it's a prune because we're in disobedience and we really need to knock that off. But it's a shaping of us. In verses 3 to 4, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's your salvation. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He's saying that we're believers, but we're not going to perfectly obey his word. We're going to mess up. Sometimes we mess up a lot. Sometimes we mess up for long periods of time. But he's not going to chop us off because we are a true branch. He's never going to cast us out. The pruning is there to help us. So he's saying it's just like you don't have to be washed when he was washing feet. All of you doesn't have to be washed again. We're just going to wash your feet. So pruning is a little bit like, hey, we're washing feet here. It's a little bit more tender, comfortable way to say it. But washing the feet also is, comes after we've been pruned because pruning can lead to repentance. You can look at it like this analogy. God uses his word as the pruning knife. And sometimes he uses affliction to prepare us for the prune. There's some verses that back that. Psalm 119, which is the beautiful uh, psalm about his word. In verse 67, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Psalm 94, 12, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. So pruning goes along with affliction and learning from his word. To bring us back to that. If we are in, the disciples are about to go into the mission field. If we are about to live our lives for Christ, we have to be prepared. We have to be trained for that. We are, we are being, we are disciplined for this. Soldiers for the battle. John MacArthur has this wonderful line about this. Suffering is merely the handle of the father's knife. The blade is the word of God. So if you ever think about the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and whose hand is on the handle of it, it's God the Father as he takes this and prunes it 
and cuts things away for us. All in preparation to what? Bear fruit. Bear fruit. The job of the disciples, the job of the church is to be a witness to Christ, to represent him. To be his soldier. To wear his jersey. We're on his team. We're in his army. Unfortunately, some wearing the jersey aren't real, really on the team, are they? Verse 5 says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can bear nothing. Bearing much fruit cannot be done on our own. Bearing any fruit cannot be done on our own, okay? Can't bear fruit, real fruit, and we'll talk about what that is, without being a real Christian. And, ladies, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. No such thing as a fruitless Christian. We are his workmanship, and he who began a good work in us will complete it, right? So believers produce good fruit, Luke 6, verse 43, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble tree. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks goes on this is where it goes on why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i tell you so christians are going to bear fruit now depends on how much fruit um, is dependent on some other things but if you're a christian you are going to bear fruit so what is the fruit fruit is not Outward success. A large church, a popular ministry, selling a lot of books, a successful program. Those are the worldly measures sometimes in numbers and quantity and stuff that it looks at. Real fruit here is, first of all, it's the obvious one, fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be Christ-like traits from Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Fruit is going to be, does your life exume, illustrate love, joy, peace? Are we calm when the world's falling apart? Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do our lives demonstrate those things? Fruit is also praise to God. Hebrews 13:5. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrificial sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Okay? Fruit is holy, righteous, God-honoring behavior. And that's in Hebrews 12:11, peaceful fruit of righteousness. Those things are fruit. And Paul prayed in Colossians um, 1.10, he prays for the Colossians that they would bear fruit in every good work. Good works are fruit. 
It's an outward sign. And fruit is winning converts to Christ because we learned about how if a seed doesn't fall and die, it's not going to be able to bear much fruit. So that's converts that we're winning to Christ based on what they're seeing in our lives. Hey, I, I want what you have. There's something about you that I like. Holy Spirit does the conviction, but many times he uses us, his, his church, to, as a tool in that. So that's what the fruit is here. Um, it's not an outward appearance. It's more behavior, heart attitudes. And finally, in verse 11... It says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, in other words, you're living out scripture, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, you're, you're on the same plain plan. You're, you're doing the same thing. We're living out scripture. That's what God wants us to do. And we can ask him for those things and we're going to get it. It's along, along his, his line, his will. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and is proved to be my disciples as the Father has loved me and so I have loved you. This is a loving, joyful relation. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the abundance of life. The true branches live lives that glorify God and that we've already talked about this year, is the greatest theme in the universe. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's the greatest theme in the universe. And our lives can rejoice in that, can also join the theme of glorifying God, resulting in love and joy. You know what? Why would we have it any other way, right? But we do. We have that stubborn will. So that's the first branch. Let's look at the second branch. The second type is the non-abiding branches. This is Judas. And he's, made, he's again, he's alluding back to what just happened. And they weren't completely aware of it, but they will be that, well, this is what Judas went and did. Of There's going to be branches among us that are not real branches. And until God the Father cuts them out, they're probably going to hang out with us, right? Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, now what does that mean? Remaining in me, right? They probably weren't in him in the first place, and we'll talk about that. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The not abiding in Christ, it's an outward attachment. They've attached themselves to the body of Christ. They're not really it, it, it connected to him. They're kind of like maybe an optical illusion or whatever, but it's not abiding in him. They're not really in him. They're hanging out with him. They might be wearing the jersey, but they're not on the team. They don't have the fruit. These people attach themselves to the body of Christ. These people will always be amongst us today. There's people that are like that. They profess to be Christians. They were born in America or whatever, you know, you want to say, or they go to church, they check the box, but... 
They aren't real branches. So who are they? And I have verses for all these. If I'm not going to read them to you, though. They are the tares among the wheat. They are the bad fish that are thrown away. They're the goats condemned to eternal punishment. Those left standing outside when the head of the house shuts the door. They are the foolish virgins shut out of the wedding feast. They're the useless slaves who bury their master's talent in the ground. They're the apostates who eventually leave the fellowship of believers. They continue to sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. They are those who fall away from the truth to everlasting destruction. Now, a lot of these things are going to happen at the judgment at the end days. Some of these bad branches are going to hang out with us till the bitter end. There's a warning to these bad branches, Matthew 7, 15. <clears throat> Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Those are more or less leaders. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We are fruit inspectors. It's a little bit different than judgment. Um, we're not in a place of judgment. Judgment puts us above something. But being a fruit inspector just gives us information on how to build relationships. And if we see someone that's not bearing too much fruit, we may not want to hang around too much or kind of be more aware of a, in a witnessing kind of thing. Okay? Second Peter is another warning, 2.20. For if, after they have escaped, and this is the bad branches that are hanging out in the church, if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which means, yeah, they can live, they can learn Christianese and live these, like, good lives and stuff because they're kind of phony, hypocritical, and they're in the church, and they're doing all that stuff, and they pay their taxes, and they don't cheat on their wife and everything. If they miss that, if they are saved from the defilements of this world, but um, they are, again, entangled in them and overcome the the last state has become worse for them than the first. So if they hang around with the church and they know everything, then they are held more accountable. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So these people are, there's almost like a greater judgment. And we've talked about before having different degrees, different reward, reward system in heaven, you know, for stuff, and there's going to be a degree system in punishment in hell too. There's hotter fires for the Hitlers of the world. There's so for fruitful warriors, we abide in the vine. We need him. We don't even think about doing something without him. 
When I go down and you know, or do my practice, I wouldn't even think about going into that office without him, without being prayed up, without being dependent on him, constantly praying with him throughout. And I know that's more of a focal point. I'm more lax when I'm around Ken, <laughs> you know, but don't, but, but when we have a thing to do and we need to pray with, without ceasing, continually pray and being plugged in because that's, abide, that's staying connected with him. So how do we abide? How to abide? Verse 12 through 17 is going to talk about we are living in a hostile territory. The disciples were going to go out hostility. The persecution of the early church was horrific. The persecution of our church today is horrific. We're in a sense being persecuted, aren't we, by being censored and things like that and being basically don't meet together. It's a different kind of persecution that we're getting. We're all falling for it. Not all of us. So we live in a hostile territory. Follow the commandments. We need to follow the commandments to fight the battle. And the one he gives us, reminds us again, is to love one another. We're commanded to love each other. Okay? They're in, this is the second time he told them this in the upper room, giving them commandment. Love for each other is the hallmark of the, of the Christian life. That's how the world's going to know. But it's not just an outward sign. It's like we need to love each other. When we're going into battle, don't you want someone who has your back? If you're going into battle with someone who doesn't really like you and hates your guts, they're going to set you up, right? So loving each other and being in, in, in part of the church and, and living the Christian life today is we have to love each other. First John is loaded with this. Um, two, nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Moving over, 310, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 313, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderers have eternal life abiding in him. 4-7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It goes on and on and on in five one. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. It's loaded with it. Love each other. We're out in a battlefield, we've got to love each other. And the only one who abides in him has the capacity to love divinely. Because Jesus is, God is love. Love is Jesus loved. We can only have that kind of love when we abide in, in Christ. At spiritual birth, when we become believers, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. There's no book that you can get, how do I love my fellow Christian? It's because it is a submission, breaking our will and yielding to his, 
when we have that flesh battle going on, and it's like, oh, they really hurt my feelings. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, whoa, are we living in the flesh? Or are we going to yield our will and live in the strength of the spirit by saying, God, I'm having trouble loving this fellow brother. Please help me love them. We don't have to understand how that's going to come about. It's a yielding our will and asking God to just, I submit my ugly angst against this person. Please forgive me for that and help me love them. Boom, there it is. You will get ways in your life to be able to do that. And it will be amazing. And you'll be a lot happier. (laughs) Because hanging under grudges is a not. So love is the big thing. And the standard is set high. No greater love than this than someone gives their life for their brother. Jesus set the standard high. It's not going to be perfect. And it's not going to be all the time. We're going to mess up. But it's sacrificially selfless. It's humbling, humbling and meeting each other's needs. So love. If you're going to be out there in the trenches, love is the way to go. Verse 14 to 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And for all all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Here Jesus is making a distinction between being a slave to him and being a servant. We're all slaves to Christ. It's a horrible name today. Slavery, we're still paying for stuff and slavery, but you know what? Slave market's out there. Human trafficking and slave is all out. It is probably worse than it's ever been. The Bible says that we're either a slave to God or a slave to Satan. So we're slaves. Jesus bought us with a price. We belong to him. Um, Utter submission and dependence upon a heavenly master. A slave was bought, owned, subjected to, provided for, and protected by his master. When you were a slave, you had no rights. You were like a, a... owned by this master and they provided everything that you needed they bought you you were theirs same with christ he bought us with a price he paid for our sins and he takes care of us slaves also don't have an intimate relationship with their master a slave is basically told what to do you don't need to know you're in a, you're in a need to know thing and you don't need to know just do what i say you know <laughs> I wish our kids would respond like that sometimes. <laughs> but why? <laughs> and I, my mom used to say, because I said so. I, I told myself, I've never, I, I do try to explain it. And sometimes it's just because I said so, right? <laughs> Slaves. <laughs> um, but that's a child to a, a parent, and there's a different thing. But a slave just doesn't have to understand. They just do it. But a friend discusses the plans. A friend knows what what's going on in the master's head. A friend is someone that is intimately um, more acquainted with the master. And sometimes in royalty, a slave or a servant that is, has a position of being more in, in the intimate working relationships of the master, they, they tend to get a friendship going up too. So Jesus is telling them, I'm, you are my friend now because you understand the plan. 
You're a friend now because I've revealed the truth to you. You're a friend of mine now because, in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ makes us a friend of God because we know We know what's expected, and this is what we need to do. It's a closer connection. So abiding in his word is is enhancing that friendship that we have with God. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. There's our election verse right there. I chose you and appointed you that you should do what? Go and bear fruit. He chose us. Not to just, yeah, I'm going to choose you. Your name's going to be in heaven, but you can do whatever you want to do while you're here. No, he chose us to bear fruit, to, to be his witness. And this was kind of an odd thing for the disciples to hear. Because in the Jewish customs of the day, if you wanted to follow a teacher, a rabbi, you would choose what rabbi you wanted to follow. I'm going to follow rabbi or whatever and everything. And you go to them and, and that you ask them and they say yes or no. But Jesus is telling them that he has chosen them. And what this also does, it eliminates any boasting in heaven. No one up there is going to say, well, I'm the one who chose to be. No, all boasting in heaven is gone. Jesus has chosen us. And to bear fruit, it comes with a responsibility. We're chosen to serve. Okay, we're chosen to serve. Um, It says there that the fruit, bear fruit, and that your fruit, fruit should abide. Your fruit is going to remain. In other words, it's going to be good fruit that's going to, that's going to remain. It's going to have, it's going to make a difference. It's going to be real fruit. It's not going to rot. It's going to be, it will be fruit that remains, fruit that will not be burned away, the works that we do. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? Oh, hang on, three. Let me get in three and not two. 311, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, let each, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So we want fruit that's going to last and not get burnt up. That's what that verse is meaning there, that your fruit will remain. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of, to which you have been called. And again, he ends it in verse 17 with a reminder to love one another as they face the world's hatred. You know what? When we're facing people that hate us, it's nice to have people that love us, isn't it? We want to fight our battles with friends. So we want our friends to be abiding in God's word too. And that's where we encourage and exhort one another. Come on, the stronger you are, we already know that one part of the body hurts, it affects the whole thing. So we want to build each other up and encourage each other to to do good works. 
Okay, let's finish this up by looking at the world and the fierce opposition that we are going to face. What they are going to face, what we face, um, but he's given us a helper with this. The world hates us. The world hates us. And I'm not going to go in verbatim on that stuff. I'm just going to give you a couple things. The world rejects everything who's not a part of it. Why? Because it does things in the, in dark, right? The, the world that's re- referred to here is evil, fallen system comprised of unregenerate people controlled by Satan. Remember, they're not on their own. You're either a master to God or a master to Satan. So Satan's controlling it, and these are people that are just mindlessly and sometimes mindfully going along with Satan's plan that hates God. Um, Godly lives condemn the works of evil people. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. But one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. And we know this from the beginning of time. 1 John 3.12 points us back to Cain. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So when we're living, abiding in Christ and have fruitful lives, just that alone is going to make them hate us and want to destroy us. Cain killed Abel because of that. The evil world system gives approval to all the wicked practices. Romans 1.8. They may not do and they just kind of nod in approval to keep doing that. And we see that. We live in a time now where evil is pretty bold and in your face. Don't even try to stay in the closet or just hide or be in the dark. It is being outright open. And believers become targets for Satan's wrath, wrath because he prowls around like that roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Therefore, what do we do? We put on the whole armor of God. That we may be able to do what? Fight against? No, to stand. To stand against the schemes of the devil. Several times it's in there saying to stand, to stand, to stand, to stand your ground. Abide, remain with what? In his word, with the sword, knowing it and abiding it and applying it. Believers are to stand apart from evil deeds. We don't get sucked up into it. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. How many times do this, does a church just say, sure, come on, we love everybody. It's a big thing. We love everybody. We're not, we're not going to condemn. Just come on in and something. That is giving approval to sin. Now, we, don't, we're, we stand in love, but we don't just give a wink and a nod. I think that's really brought us to where we're at now with the church. The church is a sick, sick institutional church. It is a sick institution. If we were of the world and we're not, we would have the world's imperfect love. They would love us. But Jesus has chosen us out of it. Colossians 1.13, I have chosen you out of the dominion of darkness, and I have put you into the kingdom of the Son I love. A positional change that he's done. We're not of the world. We don't participate in the world. 
So the world hates believers. Why? Because they hated him first. And that's what he's telling them. It's really not about you guys because they really don't know you. You ever get that? People, like, they just see you or they they find out who you voted for or something. Immediately they hate you because of it and they don't even really know you. It's about about Christ. They hate him. Therefore, they're going to hate anyone who is connected to him. The world's hate. The majority will reject us, but the minority won't. There are those out there that will want to hear what we have to say. And remember, the world that hates us, the spiritually dead, they suppress the truth. Um, But our battle isn't against flesh and blood, okay? Okay. Our battle is against the principalities, the arguments that sent themselves up against Christ, the truth. So if we can look past the people, you know, the the riots, the things you see on the news, the the hate that's out there, look past that and have a compassion. Can you imagine being consumed with that kind of hatred? That would be a horrible, horrible thing. Verse 22 says this, if, you had not co- if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, it pulls it back to, if they have heard the gospel and they reject it, there's a greater responsibility for rejecting the truth. Now, it sounds really horrible and hostile out there, and we know it is, but the cool thing is, what does he do? He gives us the helper as we face this opposition because we're not going to be able to do it on our own. Jesus left them with the power to evangelize the world and our instructions for the battle, what we need to do. So no Christian is to get out there and attempt to witness in your own strength. you'll, You'll just get eaten alive. But... We minister to the world through the Holy Spirit, and it's the Spirit that convicts the person of sin. We present Christ. Christian witness is to the world in verse 26 and 27. Now I'm going to read that. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So he's saying... Our witness is to the world, and it's from the Father. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us, He's given us all authority in heaven and earth, has been given to to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. This doesn't mean we just hang out and watch TV. This means we are an active person witnessing for Christ. Go out, the Great Commission. I have a book on my bookcase at home. I've had it for a long time. It's entitled The Great Omission. The Great Omission. Because we're not doing it anymore, are we? We don't take that seriously. We pay somebody money to go out into another country and and be missionaries. And we think, oh, we've done our job. Check the box. We are told that we are bearing fruit and we need to do that. We need to be bold with the truth to an unbelieving world. We go out from the Father and we talk about Jesus Christ. The church's message is not a political 
activism. The church's mission should not be social reform. The church's mission should not be psychological self-fulfillment or Weight Watchers program. The church's mission is Jesus Christ. Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The church's mission is through believers, through true branches. We are the final link to a lost world. Our lives demonstrate the power of the resurrection. Romans 10, 37, we'll leave you with this verse here. 10, 37, why am I down there? 10, oh, 13, sorry. I get, I'm not dyslexic, but sometimes it happens to me. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the freedom of those who preach the good news. So I want everyone to look at their feet. And I want you to realize that you have beautiful feet that need to be taken out into a lost and dying world and live the abundant life plugged into the vine and let them see the love of Christ in your lives. Okay? God, help us to be good warriors, to be true vines, to be sturdy, strong branches that bear much fruit to your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.